Good morning, everyone. And t- today it marks the last day of this special series called Be Rich. And I just want to say thanks to everybody for the way that you've responded. Uh, just delighted, thrilled with all the cereal that's come in. We're delighted at, at the amount of money that you've given so far for the Syrian refugees. It, my heart is really warmed by that. Thank you so much. And I just want to say that if you have not yet brought something in and you still want to, uh, we're, we're going to be receiving um, donations. We'll be receiving the uh, uh, cereal. We'll be receiving coats and hats and mitts uh, right through December. So uh, please don't think that today is a d- the cutoff date. Please continue to bring it in. Uh, we do want to give out to hampers to many of the families that come to Kids Club. So we do appreciate your willingness to give. Now, this past weekend was a very special celebration in the United States. And it was called Black Friday. Has anybody ever heard of Black Friday? I think that it's it's creep. Uh, yeah, yeah. I hear the moans. It's creeping into Canada, isn't it? And um, the there's actually a website called. It's, here's what it's called. It's called Black Friday Death Count. And what it is, it's exactly it's exactly what it says it is. It has been tracking the number of deaths that have occurred on Black Friday since 2006, and so far. There have been seven deaths since 2006 and 98 serious injuries. Uh, that number seven, seven deaths, uh, can be disputed. Some think it's as high as 11. Um, in case you don't know what Black Friday is, it's the day after Thanksgiving, and it's considered the first day, the first official day of Christmas Day shopping. And so here's what happens. is the crowds uh, of consumers, they are drawn to these special offers. And if you've got cable vision, then you've seen all the advertisements, right? Come in and get a free get a free TV. The first five people get a free TV, and then after that, it's 70% off, and, and cars and, and, uh, and, and all kinds of things. Anything you want, they've got it. Now, the name Black Friday was actually invented by the police department in Philadelphia. The term was used because... because uh, Traffic jams and pedestrian congestion was at such terrible levels that the police just finally started calling it Black Friday because it was such a terrible day. Now, the merchants in Philadelphia, they didn't like the term Black Friday, so they thought that they would come up with a new term and that they would call it Big Friday. Sounds impressive, right? Problem is, is that it never caught on. And so now they've, they've embraced the Black Friday, and of course, you hear about it all the time. Now, these deaths that happen on Black Friday uh, are very sad, and some of them are humorous. Well, they would be humorous if they weren't so sad. I mean, we are talking about death. Uh, Sadly, a 61-year-old man by the name of Walter Vance, he collapsed while at a West Virginia Target. Anybody remember Target? We used to have him here. Um, This this happened in 2011, and, um, and, you know, this man collapses on the floor, just, just... sort of line there, and, and nobody noticed him because they're so busy going after the, the, the special sales. Uh, by the time that he was finally found and taken to the hospital, he was pronounced dead on arrival. And then in 2008, there was a shooting at a Southern California Toys R Us. Can you believe that? A shootout at the local Toys R Us. You wouldn't expect that. But here's, here's what happened. Two women... Two women 
were in the checkout and they were fighting over something. We don't even know what it was, but they began to fight. And so the, their husbands, their men who were with them, they both pulled out their guns and they shot each other and killed each other. So I'm, I'm assuming that they got over the fight. <laughs> but there's, there's their men dead on the floor. Each had their own gun and each finished the other one off. And then at that same year, there was a, stamp, a stampede. There was a, a stampede at a Long Island Walmart. And there's a, a poor man trampled to death. And four others were also trampled and seriously injured. One of them was, in fact, pregnant. And so this is the way we end Thanksgiving and then we, the way we begin the Christmas celebration. I don't know if you saw any of the news reports this year, the massive fights. Uh, they were reporting that people were actually quickly eating their Thanksgiving dinner, throwing the dishes into the sink, and then running to wherever it is that they wanted to get the deal, and they were waiting in line. So they would wait in line all night long so that when the stores opened at 6 o'clock sharp, they would be the first one in line to get whatever it is that they wanted. Folks, I got to tell you, to me, Black Friday is probably the most perverse day of the year. Because it is sandwiched between thanksgiving, a time of giving thanks to God for his rich provision, and Christmas, when we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, who was poor and actually was born in a stable, in a manger. We celebrate all of that with this perverse day called Black Friday. And I'm going to tell you, they, people will argue, well, we got to get in line because we don't want to miss the deals. And if we don't get there on time, somebody else is going to get it. Folks, if ever there was a rich people problem, <laughs> that's a rich people problem. Now, interestingly, at our house, we've been talking a lot about that. My kids have been talking about it uh, humorously. Yesterday, we were, Gloria was at work and Sarah and I were in the kitchen preparing some lunch and we... Um, we're warming up some leftovers, and we dump the leftovers into a pot, and Gloria, Sarah goes, ew, it looks so gross. And then she started to laugh, recognizing how ridiculous that is, and she said, that's a rich people problem. Can't even stand the, the sight of leftover food. Folks, we got to understand something today. We are very, very rich here in the West. We have so much. In fact, we don't really even know how much we have. So what I want to do this morning is I want to just quickly recap what we've been discussing for the last three weeks. And of course, the first thing we said, or we established, is that you know, compared to the rest of the world, we here in North America are in fact quite wealthy. We said that if your household income was $48,000 or more, then you were in the top 1% of the top uh, wage earners in the world. So if your household income is 48000 or more, then you're in the top 1%. And if you're, if you're uh, under $48,000, you are still in the, in, the, in the top percentages of the world's wealthiest people. So we established that we are, in fact, wealthy. And then we said this. We said that we're not trying to give anybody a guilt trap. We don't want to guilt anybody here. But what we want to do is we want to help you to see how much God has entrusted to you, how much God has blessed you, how much God has given you. So, not so that you will feel guilty for what you have, but so that you will feel gratitude, that you will be thankful to the Lord 
for what he's given. How many are thankful to the Lord for what God has given you? Thank you. That's, that's good. Some of you are. Some are not. Jared and Aaron, you don't care? No? <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, I love having fun with you guys. You're great. Okay, now watch this. Watch this. So people are, are feeling guilty. We don't want you to feel guilty. We want you to feel grateful. Because here's what happens when people are grateful for what God has given it tends to make them generous. They tend to want to give. They tend to want to share. And so that's really what we're ha- hoping will happen, is that in, in your gratitude for what God has entrusted to you, you will be prepared to share. Then, then we said a few weeks ago that wealth has side effects. And so what are these side effects? Well, very simply, let's look at this scripture verse from 1 Timothy 6, uh, verse 17. Can we see that? And Paul says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, I want you to see something here. The Apostle Paul is pointing out to Timothy what happens to so many people who are rich. Now, we've established already that when we talk about being rich, that refers to us. We're the rich people. Paul says the problem with so many rich people is that their hope, which was in God, now has migrated away from God and has migrated to their wealth. Because people have this notion that if I have more money in my bank account, if I have more money in my savings account, if I have more in my retirement fund, if I just get the car that works and gets the right kind of house and get the right kind of clothes, then, then I will be happy, then I'll be safe. And this is one of the side effects of having wealth. If you're poor, the way I was when I started the ministry, when I started the ministry, I didn't have a nickel in my pocket. I was living literally on $900 a month. It was enough to pay my tithe, pay my car payment, and pay for the rent on my apartment. And that was all that, that money. would. I think there was a few dollars left over uh, so that I could buy a Slurpee at 7-Eleven. I don't know. There's just hardly anything left. There's nothing there. I mean, I couldn't go, put it this way, I couldn't go to the grocery store and buy groceries because it just wasn't there. But here's what I discovered, folks. When I was at the poorest of the poor, I tried to continue to be generous. I tried to continue to give. And God always met my needs in the most incredible ways. In fact, I could write a book about my early years and the excitement, the joy of, of trusting God. And you don't want to know something? Um, when I married Gloria, again, I had no money because I was a missionary in Greece. We didn't, have a, we didn't have a nickel. And we were on the mission field for three and a half years together. I came home, we came home from the mission field. Again, I got no money in my pocket. And, and you heard me tell the story about how we were able to get the down payment on our house, borrowed from, uh, from a, an insurance plan. that as soon as we borrowed the money that the exact amount we needed for a down payment, the company went bankrupt and we never had to pay the money back, but now we've got a house. Yeah, that's, that's right. It's pretty amazing. Um, God has provided for us in incredible ways. Now, fast forward uh, almost 26 years and things are better for us. Things are much better. But here's what we learned during those poor times. We learned how to maintain hope in God. We never allowed our hope in God to migrate towards money. We, we've tried to make sure that we our giving has increased as our standard of living has increased. In fact, we try to be the best givers in this church. Now, I don't know if we've, we're quite succeeding at that because there's some who are better off financially than we are, quite frankly. But I'm gonna tell you this. 
Our desire is to be the very best that we can be at giving and sharing. Now, last week, what we talked about is we talked about the, the fact that God cares more about percentages than he does about dollar amounts. Because here's what I hear. I, I hear the, the chatter. And some of you are saying, well, I can't afford to give what you give. I mean, your wife works and you work and you've got double income, so I can't afford to give what you give. Look at you may not be able to give the dollar amounts that I give, but you can certainly give the percentage amounts that I give. And that's the thing that we pointed out last week. Jesus is looking at the percentages. And so we see Jesus in the temple with his disciples. And remember the, the rich or the poor widow is giving her offering. And Jesus is comparing that poor widow to the rich people who are putting their offerings in the offering plate. Now, can I just say this? At Cross Church, there's nobody sitting and watching how much you're putting in the plate or getting in the giving center. We we don't have spies. We don't have any hidden cameras that are watching you. so, So don't panic. But here's Jesus watching what people are giving. And then he calls his disciples over to say, hey, take a look at this. Watch this, watch this, watch this. And here's, here's the widow putting in her, her two little coins. These, these rich people, they're putting in thousands and thousands of dollars. And this poor woman, her, her little, what we call widow's mites, because they're so tiny, they're probably equivalent to maybe a couple bucks in our, in our, in our money today. She literally said, what have I got in my pockets and she says, look, I've got, I've got a couple bucks, got two, three, three dollars. I'm going to give everything I've got. And she put it in. And Jesus said, you see, this woman has given more than anybody else. How can that be if she's putting in a couple bucks and the rich people are putting in thousands? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus is looking at the percentages. At Cross Church, we don't check up on what anyone's giving ever. I have no idea what anybody gives, but we've got one person who makes sure that you, you get your quarterly statement or your year-end uh, receipt for income tax purposes, and that's it. That's the only person that knows. The reason I don't want to know so that on Sunday morning when I'm sitting here talking to you, I can look you in the eye, and I don't have to think to myself, oh, there's the, there's the guy that gives a lot, or there's the one, she didn't give anything. I don't, I don't I'm never thinking that because I have no idea. As far as I know, you're all very, very generous people. I want to make sure that when I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking God's word to you, that I don't have my own agenda, that I'm advancing the biblical agenda. And what does God want me to do as your pastor? God wants me to teach you how to be a generous giver, and not just to be a generous giver, but God wants me to teach you how to be a joyful or a cheerful giver. And so we read that verse, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, I want you to see something this morning. I want you to see your wealth through the lens of eternity. Did you hear that? I want you to see your wealth through the lens of eternity because most of us, when we look at our money, when we look at our wealth, we think only in terms of the now or as we would put it, in in temporal terms. The temporal coming from the word temporary. How many know today that when you were created in the image of God, you were created as eternal beings because God is eternal? 
And so Jesus is, is going to show us something here this morning. He's going to show us how our wealth affects our eternity. But before I show you that, I'm going to share, you with, uh, share with you something that uh, Hunter sent me late last night as I was going over my notes. And here it is. Um, a 16-year-old Ethan Anthony Couch, an American teen, was sentenced to 10 years probation after being convicted of killing four pedestrians and seriously injuring two others while driving drunk at 70 miles per hour near Fort Worth, Texas. So he's killed four, he's injured two because he's driving drunk at reckless speeds, and he's given 10 years probation. Shocking. In December 2013, Judge Jean Hudson Boyd sentenced Couch to a therapy program a long-term therapy program in an, watch this, in an inpatient facility after his attorney successfully argued that the teen suffered from affluenza and needed rehabilitation instead of prison. You maybe are sitting there wondering, what on earth is affluenza? Well, before I answer that, the attorneys felt that this young man was a victim of his circumstances. His sentence set off what the New York Times called an emotional, angry debate that has stretched far beyond the North Texas suburbs. So what is affluenza? Well, it comes from the word affluence. And what is affluence? It means, it means an abundance of wealth, having more than you need. In the 2001 book called Affluenza, The All-Consuming Epidemic, it defines affluenza. By the way, has anybody ever heard of influenza? We, short form, we call it the, the flu. So this is affluenza. So here's how they define affluenza. Quote, it is a painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, debt, anxiety, and waste resulting from the dog pursuit of getting more. Can I read that to you again? Here's what affluenza is. Maybe, maybe you're suffering from that disease this morning. A painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, debt, anxiety, and waste resulting from the dogged pursuit of getting more. The term affluenza has also been used to refer to an inability to understand the consequences of one's actions because of financial privilege, notably in the case of this young Ethan Couch. So what they're saying is that this young man cannot be held responsible for her, his dastardly deeds, for his actions, because his mind is confused and muddled by his privilege, by his rich conditions. Folks, we are living in such a crazy world right now. In the West, it's extreme. It's extreme craziness. Black Friday, people being trampled to death. People being shot at Toys R Us, really? A young man killing four and injuring two, and he's suffering from affluenza? It's no, it should be no surprise, really, when you consider that for so many people here in the West, Wealth is their God. Possessions, getting, having is more important than just about anything else. 
And so this morning, we're finishing off Paul's instructions to Timothy. And he caps it off with a perspective on wealth that has inspired more people to be generous than just about anything that I can ever think of. And this is why Christians outgive their secular counterparts by far. It's why church people outgive non-church people. Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning, what I'm going to share may be a little bit strange to you, may be a little bit out there, but I'm going to tell you up front, uh, it is different. So here's what you need to know. Central to Jesus' teaching, central to what Jesus taught, is this notion that God has entrusted to us what we have and that we are called to be stewards. And if you don't understand that, then you really don't understand what the Christian life is really all about. Because what you have right now, God has given to you, and he expects you to use it in a way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Did you notice that it says, command those who are rich where? Go ahead, you can say it. In this present world. Now, you understand then that the Apostle Paul is clearly thinking that there's more to life than than this present world. The question is this, for every person today who is a follower of Jesus Christ, is what's going to happen with you in the world to come? Before I answer that question, look look what Paul goes on to say in verse 18. He says, command them, that is the rich people. Who are the rich people? Thank you. Who are the rich people? There's eight of us. They're rich. The rest are are very poor. (laughs) Who are the rich people? Thank you. Thank you. So command them, that's us, to do good, to be rich in good deeds. Now, I just need to clarify this here because he's not just saying be good because we all understand that all of us are supposed to be good, right? Right? We're all supposed to be good. And if you're a Christian, then you especially need to be good. But the Apostle Paul is saying, because you're rich, you shouldn't just be good. You should be gooder. You should be, you should be good beyond what everybody else is good because you can afford it, because you're able to. Remember last week we said that for many of us, we have at least 60, maybe 70 disposable hours that we can use any way we, were, we want. For most people in the world, they got to work six days and maybe even seven days a week to put food on the table for six or seven days a week. But here in North America, we've got a weekend. I'm going to tell you, folks, the idea of a weekend, that is a modern invention. It was, it was unheard of. My grandparents, they didn't know anything about a weekend. It was unheard of. They worked, they worked every day of the week. And that was to put food on the table. So Paul's saying, look, command them to do good and to be what? To be rich in good deeds. Why? Because you can afford it. you got the time. You can do what other people cannot do. And then he says, and then tell them to be generous and willing to share. And then he goes on to say this in verse 19. He says, and then in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves, watch this, as a firm foundation for the coming age. Another word for that is 
heaven so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, for so many of us this morning, we don't really think from one day to the next about the life that is to come. And yet, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I are called to think about our eternity. In fact, we are to be eternally minded. But for so many of us, because we are caught up in our culture and our society, we are what we would call temporally minded. We are caught up in that which is temporary. Has anybody ever seen Entertainment Tonight? And day after day, night after night, we hear the latest gossip on the latest star and, and they broke a heel while they were walking on the red carpet and who cares? And there's a rip in her dress and, and, they, and the, he didn't show up on time and the limousine was late and all kinds, it's all this temporary nonsense. It doesn't matter to anybody, but it matters to everybody. We're caught up in that which is temporary. And the Apostle Paul is bringing us back bringing our feet back down to earth. And he's saying, look it, you've got to think about the way you're living your life because you are eternal beings. I want to read this passage of scripture to you. And it's one of my favorite parables. It's in Luke chapter 12. And here's what the apostle, or here's what Jesus is saying. Because someone came along to Jesus and said, hey, teacher, we need your help. I need your help. I, uh, <laughs> Can you tell my brother that he needs to divide our father's estate uh, evenly, fairly? They had problems with money back then too. So they, you know, this guy thought, well, if anybody could talk to my brother, it'd be Jesus, right? So Jesus, can you help me with this? And Jesus says, look, friend, who made me a judge to decide this sort of stuff? But then he said this. Jesus picks up this massive red flag, not literally, figuratively, massive red flag, and here's what he says. He says, beware, exclamation mark, beware. Jesus says this, he says, guard against every kind of greed. Why? Because life is not measured by how much you own. But for so many people, life is measured by how much they own. One of the things we always say here across church is that life is all about relationships. Your life is, is not all about how big your car is or how nice your house is or what kind of a career you have or how much money you got in your bank account or what your retirement fund looks like or what your cottage is like or what kind of clothes you wear. Nobody cares about your clothes. Well, this is a nice shirt, but <laughs> nobody cares about your about the car you're driving. Nobody's sitting on the edge of the street drooling over your vehicle. Nobody cares. And yet, in our minds, we have somehow equated our stuff with what life is all about. And Jesus is saying, that's not what life's about. Life is not about your stuff. That's not the meaning of life. And then to illustrate that point, Jesus goes on to tell this parable about the rich farmer. Listen to this. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, he's a rich farmer, not talking to the pastor, not talking to his wife, not talking to his kids. He's sitting there in the midst of his massive amounts of wealth thinking, <laughs> hmm, what am I going to do with all my wealth? 
What should I do? He asked himself. He asked himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Hmm. Then he said to himself, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and my other goods. So what he's saying is, I will save it now, and I'm going to consume it later. Isn't that what we do? I'm going to save it now. I'm going to consume it later, but I'm not going to share it. I'm going to tell you this, folks. Tearing down the barns, building bigger ones, that's a good plan if you've got many years ahead of you. But the fact of the matter is, and Jesus points this out, we don't know how long we're going to live. You don't know if you're going to be around tomorrow. And then Jesus goes on to say this. This rich, rich farmer, he's talking to himself still. He says, huh, and I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Kind of fun eavesdropping on this rich nut job. Have you ever noticed that about rich people? They can be awfully weird. And this rich farmer was no different. Sitting here talking to himself. I'm going to build another barn. I'm going to store it away. I'm going to consume it later. But watch this. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. You fool. You'll die this very night. Why is Jesus calling him a fool? Because he's rich? No, he's not calling him a fool because he's rich. He's calling him a fool because he's confused about what to do with the extra. And that's what we are. We're awfully confused, aren't we? So often, what am I going to do with this extra? I'm going to spend it on myself. I've got extra money. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go buy new shoes, a new purse, new pants, new clothes, a new, a new snowmobile. I'm going to, but I got extra, so it must be for me. And God says, you're a fool. Not for being rich, but for being confused about what to do with with the extra. And God said, you fool, who will get everything that you've worked for? (laughs) Somebody else is going to get it. But not because you were generous. Somebody else is going to get it because you're dead. Huh. Is the Spirit of God speaking to your heart right now? Because for so many of us, we think that all there is to life is this life. And God is telling us through Jesus Christ that there's so much more. That this life is not about your stuff. It's not about your house, your car, your possessions, your money. It's not about your image and how you look and your $1,000 haircut. Yes, you can get $1,000 haircuts. It's not what life's about. And God says, you're a fool. If you think it's all about you and it's just for you. Jesus says this. Turning to his disciples, Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food in barns. It's more than the clothing that you're going to wear. But for so many of us, that's all the life is about. 
That's why people go crazy on Black Friday. That's why people leave the dining room table with all their family and the delicious turkey and the potential for great relationships and discussions and and sharing together. That's why people will push away from the table and go stand in line until six o'clock in the morning so they can get more stuff because they think that's what life's about. And I'm telling you today, I think you know it. You can see it. You can see how ridiculous it is. It's not what life's about. And Jesus says this. And I'm going to tell you right now what I'm going to share with you. If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian today, this is not going to make sense. It's going to be overwhelming. You're going to say it's impossible, and and you would be right. It is impossible. But for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus Christ and you believe that Jesus Christ is worth obeying, then you're going to listen to this, and the Spirit of God, I pray, will challenge you to change the way you're living. And here's what Jesus says. He says, sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. Now, if you're not a Christian, that doesn't mean anything. You could care less about that. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're looking someday to go to heaven then it's very important that you make sure that you're storing something up. Jesus says, and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. And then he says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. What's Jesus saying? He's saying the Christian who is really following Jesus is, in fact, storing up treasure in heaven. You say, Pastor Allen, how do I know whether or not I'm storing up treasure in heaven? Well, there's a simple test. And, folks, that is really what this series has been about for the last four weeks. There's a simple test to see where your heart is, to see whether or not you are really engaged with God. And it can be summed up in one word, generosity. If you're generous today, if you are willing to share, if you're willing to give, that tells me where your heart is. It tells me that you care more about pleasing God than you do about pleasing yourself. The test, folks, that proves whether your heart is right with God is whether you're generous or not generous. And for some of you, that might make you really angry. Pastor on you're so harsh. Look, folks, I'm doing my job here today. I've been called to communicate to you the truth as presented by the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is giving you a warning to, to, today, and he is saying, beware. Beware! Guard against every kind of greed. Now, <laughs> For so many of us, we, uh, we have forgotten, frankly. We've forgotten what really matters in life. Because it's my job as your pastor to remind you, and to remind you, and to remind you, and to remind you. Some of you are sitting here saying, all the, all the churches ever talk about is money. Well, can I tell you something? Jesus, in his, in his ministry, talked about money more than he talked about heaven or hell or just about anything else. Why? Why? this discussion about money. 
I'll tell you why. Because Jesus points out that you can't love both God and your money because you're going to love one and hate the other or despise one and be devoted to the other. And the question is this today. Are you devoted to God or are you devoted to your money and your stuff and your possessions? And if you're sitting here today feeling upset and angry, I'll tell you why that is. It's because your possessions now possess you. Your possessions own you. And you don't want anything to get between you and your God. That's right. Your possessions, your money, that's your, if that's your, that's your God. If you're angry, that's, you need to do some really serious hard examination. So I'm going to suggest to you a solution. First of all, I'm going to show you what kind of a giver you should not be. We call it the 3S giver. Can we look at the 3S giver? The 3S giver is, read it with me, spontaneous, sporadic, sparing. What do I mean by that? The spontaneous giver is the one who's, you know, if, if the pastor can, can, can cry a little bit and move you emotionally, then, you, yeah, I'm moved to give. I'm going to put something in the offering plate. Sporadic means I'm going to give what I feel like, and maybe, maybe not. I'll give, you know, if I remember. Sparing means I'm not going to give too much. And for so many of us, that's the kind of giver we are. And I said to you last week that those who are spontaneous or sporadic or sparing in their giving usually don't have their finances sorted out, and their finances are usually in a bad place. We talked about the percentages and making sure that we have figured out how much to give and how much to save and how much to live on. So what we need to do then is we need the solution, which is to be a 3P giver. Watch this. The 3P giving is this. Priority. In other words, you begin by thinking to yourself, what's my top priority? I was talking to Dennis Weeb this past week, and he said, my first priority, as soon as a check comes in, the first thing I do with that check is I give, I give my tenth to God, and, and then I think there's another tenth that goes to the Village of Hope in Burundi, and then, and then others, other things over and above that. That's his first priority. And he doesn't mind me telling you that. But I know it's not just Dennis. Many of you here today, this is the kind of a giver you are. It's your top priority. The second thing is percentage. Remember, God's not looking at the dollar amount. He's looking at the percentage. We talked about that. What's the percentage that you're giving? And hopefully it's at least 10% because God clearly tells us over and over again that the 10th belongs to the Lord. And again, I'm not checking what your giving is. I don't, it's between you and God. But I can tell you this easily because I don't know what anybody's giving. I can tell you without, without blushing, without averting my eyes or looking down. I can, tell, I can look you straight in the eye and tell you what you need to give. And then finally, your giving needs to be progressive. In other words, you need to think about increasing it by 1%, and maybe by 2%. Because I can tell you this, you never miss money that you give away. You do miss money that you waste. That's why I would never play pinball when I was a kid. I couldn't stand putting a quarter in the slot and then that's it. You never get it back. You miss money that you misspend. You miss money that you lose. You miss money that you improperly invest and you, you miss money that you loan to your brother-in-law. <laughs> but you will never miss money 
that you give. I'm going to close with this. Trish Paul sent me this, and it's written by Jeff Hayden, and he asked the question, why doesn't anyone ever feel rich or even happy anymore? He said, one day I'd like to meet someone who is actually rich. Some, sometimes I think I've found one, but it always turns out I'm wrong. No matter how rich I assume the person to be, within a few minutes I find out just how poor that person really is. Take the guy who has sold his company for $100 million but took home $40 million of it because that was his share. I was sure that that guy was rich. But then he told me how, for tax and estate planning purposes, he had structured the disbursements of funds over 10 years. So sure, on paper, he may be worth $40 million, but he only gets about $4 million each year. He only gets about $4 million each year. The poor guy. God bless me with that kind of poverty, please. And despite all that nifty financial planning, the taxes are still so high, he doesn't see nearly that much. It's a bummer. And then the guy who just bought a bigger house, bummed because it takes so much work to clean. Poor guy. Then there's a guy who just doubled his income, bummed because now his taxes are higher. Poor guy. You got a raise? Poor guy. Then there's a girl who just landed a brand new job, Bummed because now her daily commute is half an hour longer. He says, seems no one I meet, no matter how much money or success they've achieved, is actually rich. Not really. And although I'm stretching the premise to make a point, it seems no one I meet, no matter how fulfilling and gratifying their life might be, is actually happy. But that's okay. I keep hoping. I keep looking. Someday, I might find someone And hopefully, that someone is you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us how to give. Thank you, God, for teaching us how to be generous, how to prepare for our life in heaven. And God, some of us have just been living without any thought for eternity. And we pray now, God, that you give us the grace, the wisdom to live a life that pleases you. And so, God, we commit ourselves to you now, thanking you for your power and strength in Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Amen. Tell the person beside you, please be generous.